The story is told of a guy who was diagnosed with a terminal illness. He was put on hospice. When the hospice chaplain came to visit him, he asked the patient, Are you ready to renounce the devil and receive Jesus into your life? The patient replied, I'm willing to give my life to Jesus, but I won't renounce the devil. Confused, the chaplain asked him, Why? The patient replied, A man in my condition shouldn't be making any enemies. Now, we may laugh at a story like that, but we must not forget the strength and the influence that the, of the devil is real. Right? It's not old-fashioned to believe that there is an, an enemy, a, a real and a personal devil who is a legitimate being who seeks to, to do evil and wickedness in our world. It's not anti-intellectual to believe that what Scripture says about there being a living being that's the personification of all evil. Right? Rather than that being old-fashioned or anti-intellectual, it's actually quite biblical. Scripture tells us a lot about Satan. The Bible says that he is the God of this world who blinds the minds of the lost to keep them from seeing the truth of the gospel and being saved. Some of this we'll cover later, but he's also a tempter. He's called a roaring lion, roaming the earth, seeking someone to devour. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus said. Jesus said he's a murderer and a liar and the father of lies. Scripture says that he seeks to deceive the entire world and he's on the earth with great wrath because he knows he has but a short time. Now part of what we learn about Satan is that from Scripture is very counter to the cultural teaching. Right? Satan, for instance, is not the ruler of hell as often is indicated in popular teaching, even in some theology. In reality, hell is the final place where Satan will be put and he will be tormented there for all of eternity. But until then, until that day, he does roam the earth, seeking to destroy as many lives as he can. Now, as believers, we kind of have a, a tension that we have to maintain. But on the one hand, we do kind of need to have a, I guess you'd call a healthy respect towards the power and the plans of Satan. Right? We, we need to be vigilant about who he is and what he seeks to do. But we must not become preoccupied with him. But right? our focus isn't the devil. Our focus is always Jesus. But at the same time, we must not be afraid of him. Right? Because while he is powerful, he is not all powerful. And Scripture teaches that not only must we resist Him in the faith, but through the power of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we can, in fact, overcome Him. Now, tonight what we're going to do is start a, a two-week study that should help us remain vigilant against His attacks and His temptations without becoming overly preoccupied or being afraid of Him. And hopefully will enable us to live in victory over His schemes for our life. Open your Bible to 2 Timothy 2, verse 23 is where we're going to start. It's page 915 if you have a pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to look at verses 23 through 26. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but, but must be gentle to all, able to teach, and patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God, perhaps, will grant them repentance, 
so they may know the truth, they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. The title of the message tonight is Escaping the Snare of the Devil. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you tonight. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to gather in your house to study your word, to sing your praise. We thank you for your word that does guide us tonight. That, Lord, as we look at this subject, that, God, we have such a, a clear guide in your word to show us how to live and how to overcome uh, the tempter's snares. Father, tonight, let your Holy Spirit come and help him, let him help us to lay aside the cares of life that we may have brought in. Let him come and begin to focus our hearts and our minds upon you and that he would give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. Father, guide us tonight that as we look into your word, that, Lord, we would be eager to hear what you have for us, that we would seek it, that we would apply it. Lord, that as James said, we would be doers of the word and not hearers only, just deceiving ourselves. Fill me tonight with your Holy Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech and help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. And God, help us to respond in ways that show Jesus is Lord over our lives. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. But you may be seated. Now, Paul's phrase, the snare of the devil, caught my attention last week. And I kind of thought about it ever since I read it and, and all weekend long. And in my thinking about it, I listened to a sermon about it. And the preacher made mention of something that, that I had never thought of with this passage before. And part of what he said in the message was that believers can also be taken in by the snare of the devil. Now, I had never thought about it in that way. In my mind, this passage only dealt with unbelievers. That unbelievers obviously are snared by the devil, but that believers could not be. But it does make sense that believers could also be snared by the devil. But given the right set of circumstances, anyone can fall into any sort of sin or any sort of an activity. Given the right set of circumstances, anyone could fall into the snare of the devil. Also... Paul is, is writing to Timothy, who is a pastor of a church. And, and Paul's instructions are all largely pastoral and not evangelical. Right? This isn't so much, this is how you go out and reach your community for Christ, as much as this is how you pastor your church, and this is how you deal with other believers. Right? So as Paul warns Timothy, or shows him how to help people escape the snare of the devil... It seems that primarily he has in mind believers who are part of that church, who are taken in by the snare of the devil, and what Timothy must do in order to bring them and help them escape the snare of the devil. So while it would refer to a lost person, it could also refer to a believer who has erred in some way. So what we're going to do in the next two weeks is I'm going to try to answer four questions. The first question is, what is the snare of the devil? The second is, how do we end up in the snare of the devil? How do we escape the snare of the devil? And how can we help others escape the snare of the devil? It's not, we're going to look at the first two. First, what is the snare of the devil? Well, Paul gives us a clear answer. Right? They may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. And here it is. Having been taken captive by him... To do His will. Right? The snare of the devil is when someone has been taken captive by the devil to do His will. Now that sounds really extreme, doesn't it? 
to be taken captive by the devil to do his will. And yet that is what Scripture says. And as we read through Scripture repeatedly, we find ways that Satan works in the world. Right, Things that Satan tries to do in the life of believers and unbelievers alike. And if people give in to what Satan is trying to lead people to do, guess what they're doing at that point? They are doing the devil's will. But ultimately, that's all the devil's will is. It is following his leading, his deceptions, and doing the things that he would want us to do. And once they are doing Satan's will... At that point, they have been taken captive. They are snared by the devil. But I got to thinking, what would it look like? I mean, that's a, that's a big question along the lines of what is it? But what does it look like to be taken in in the snare of the devil to do his will? Well, again, looking at the things that Satan wants to do in people's lives, we can kind of pull out the answer. For one thing, uh, living in the snare of the devil, doing his will, would be living a lifestyle of sin. But a lifestyle of sin would be following the devil's will. Right? Matthew 4, 3, Jesus, it referred, in the gospel, it refers to Satan as a tempter. And in that passage, he specifically tries to tempt Jesus to sin. But we know that his temptation that way wasn't limited to Jesus. He tempts people to sin constantly. That's what he wants to do. And culture, as we've seen a few months ago in the bumper sticker theology series, culture at large doesn't think much of sin, but Scripture has an entirely different view of it than culture does. Like John writes in 1 John 3, 8, that sin is a work of the devil, and those who sin, those who live in habitual sin, are doing the works of the devil. Right. So a person living in sin is actively doing the works or the will of the devil. Of the devil. Now, John actually in that verse contrasts that with what Jesus came to do. Right? Satan is the, the one who tries to lead people to work in sin, and those who sin are doing his works, but Jesus, he says, came to destroy the works of the devil. So when Satan tempts us to sin and we take his take up his offer and go into it, whose will are we doing? Well, not Jesus's, because he came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, there are two clarifications about this that I want to make that I think are fairly important. First is, I don't think every time we sin, we are in the devil's snare. Right? If, if I sin, and I recognize I've sinned, I confess it, I repent of it, and I forsake that sin, I've not been taken captive. Right? And that's why I worded as I did, a lifestyle of sin. There is a, a difference between a lifestyle of sin and striving to live for the Lord and occasionally failing, repenting of that sin, getting up and taking off to live for the Lord again. A person living in a lifestyle of sin, now that person is snared by the devil and they are doing his will. Now the second clarification that I think is important is that we should not limit this to what we might call big sins. Right? So often, when we see an idea like this, we, we limit it to what we might consider big sins. right? Witchcraft, sexual immorality, and other sins that, that even maybe culture would consider shameful or, or somewhat large. And this is to Satan's advantage. Because when we only look at things like this as big sins, 
He's able to work in our lives in what we might consider small sins. In what our culture might consider respectable sins. And all of this, what it does is it enables Him to tempt us to do things we don't think are big deals. Culture doesn't think is a big deal. And through that, He's able to ensnare us and lead us to do His will. Now, let me give you some examples. Is gossip a sin? Absolutely. Romans 1.29. Romans 1.29 talks about a culture that is departing from God and heading headlong into depravity. And gossip is mentioned. Scripture has such a, a negative view of sin that Proverbs 17 and 4 says even listening to gossip is a sin. Right? It is a testimony of my character as a wicked person. So, what does it say about me if I habitually gossip or habitually listen to gossip? It says I'm snared by the devil and I'm doing his will. But is, is pride a sin? Sure it is. Proverbs 21.4 and other passages. Right? Pride is, is what brought Satan down. Remember, it, called, it even calls it the snare of the devil. Right? That what brought Satan from an angel to the devil was pride. That he was lifted up. So what does it say about me if I habitually look down on others and treat them and act like I'm better than them? Well, it says I'm snared by the devil. And I'm doing his will. But is, is using profanity a sin? Sure. Ephesians 5.4 talks about not letting any coarse jesting or coarse language come out of our mouths. Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what does it say about my heart when profanity flows out? It's, it's not right. So what does it say about me if I habitually use profanity or tell obscene jokes? It says, I'm snared by the devil and I'm doing his will. Right? And, and we could go on and on with different activities. Scripture calls sin that maybe culture says is not sin or not a big deal. Anytime we are habitually involved in what the Bible calls a sin, that reveals we are snared by the devil and we are doing his will. But another picture of what it would look like for someone to be snared by the devil is that they're deceived about the truth. Revelation 12.9 talks about Satan wanting to deceive the whole world. 2 Corinthians 4 uh, describes Satan as wanting to deceive unbelievers and keep them blind to the gospel and their need for Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says that he was afraid Satan through craftiness had corrupted the minds of believers and turned them away from the simplicity of of Christ. And then 2 Corinthians 13 or 2 Corinthians 13 and through 15 says Satan can appear as an angel of light to deceive and he can work through false apostles to deceive people away from Jesus. But now there are a lot of ways that we see this in our day. But more and more we find people who profess faith in Jesus embrace a form of what's called universalism. Universalism is a, a theology, a study of the Bible that more or less comes to the conclusion that everybody goes to heaven. Right? No matter if they receive Jesus or not, everybody goes to heaven in the end. Right? Now clearly, Scripture teaches something different. Scripture 
teaches that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. So why do people believe universalism when the Bible says something completely different? Because they have been deceived. And they're snared by the devil. And they're doing His will. Right? We see it in regard to, to sexual ethics. Scripture is not even remotely silent on the issues of sex and sexuality. And yet more and more, believers are professing ideas contrary to biblical truths. Why? Because they've been snared by the devil and they're doing his will. They've been deceived, snared, and they're doing his will. But another way that someone in the snare of the devil will live is that they'll live under the weight of condemnation. But Revelation 12 and 10 is called Satan the accuser of the brethren. Right, that he accuses them before God day and night. And many times Satan's accusations, they come in the form of reminding us of past failures. Right, he'll accuse us of, of things that we've done. He may even accuse us of things that we have not done. He'll tell people that they're worthless. That Jesus has no use for them. That they're not good enough to come to Christ or, or have a relationship with Christ. Well, what happens when someone believes these things? What happens when someone doesn't know that whosoever will means them? What happens when someone doesn't know that Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Well, they are snared by the devil and they begin to do his will. But the believer caught in this snare will never live to the fullness of what Scripture declares is theirs in Christ. Who are they to have a fruitful and fulfilling prayer life? Why would God listen to them after what they've done? Who are they to serve Jesus after what they've done? How could they say something's right and something's wrong after the life that they've lived? Who are they to experience and expect to experience the presence of Jesus in their lives? Who are they to expect to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led? In their lives. After all that they have done. The unbeliever caught in the snare will never feel welcome to come to Christ for salvation. They may hear whosoever may come. But they'll interpret that to mean whosoever but them. And in both instances. They've been ensnared by the devil. And they're doing his will. A, a, a final way. And this is just the ones that I thought of this week. Is they'll be uninvolved in Jesus' church. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 17 and 18 that he had a great desire to go back to Thessalonica. To be with the believers there. And he not only wanted that, but he had tried to go and see them, but was unable. And what's amazing about that passage is he says he was unable because Satan had hindered him. Right, And the word for hindered... It, it meant to make a cut in the road to make it impassable. So the picture that Paul was painting to the Thessalonians is that he had tried to go to them. He had tried to visit them. But the road that led there had been made impassable. It had been destroyed. There was something that happened and he was unable to get there. And it was Satan that thwarted his desire to be with the church. Now that's a, I mean, that's just a little disturbing, isn't it? That Satan had thwarted Paul's plan 
to go to the church and be with them. Well, what Satan did then, he does now. I mean, think about it. Scripture teaches that Jesus loves the church. Scripture teaches that Jesus died for the church. Scripture teaches that Jesus started the church. Scripture teaches that Jesus builds the church. Scripture teaches that Jesus is among His church. In light of all that Jesus is and has done for the church, who wants people to not be in church? Certainly not Jesus. Satan can and he will use all kinds of distractions to keep people from coming to church. Here are some things that you hear. The church just wants your money. Anybody ever heard somebody talk about the church with that? Well, I have my own relationship with Jesus. I don't need the church. Anybody ever heard that? Well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You hear that? Or, someone at church once offended me. Now, there's just a laundry list of people, a laundry list of reasons people give for not being in, involved in the church, but they all reveal one thing. They reveal a person snared by the devil and doing his will. He is keeping them from God's church. So what is the snare of the devil? It is to be taken captive by him and begin to do his will. It is seen in a variety of ways. This is obviously the full laundry list of ways, but it's, one, it's some. So that leads to a question, how do we end up there? How does someone end up in the snare of the devil, doing his will. Well, to understand how we end up in the snare of the devil, we kind of have to know how the devil works. And, and as I thought about it, I think there's at least two key verses that we need to recognize. Right? Ephesians 6.11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then 2 Corinthians 2 and 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for you're not ignorant of his devices. But the word wiles and devices are significant. Wiles, it means deceitful methods or strategies that Satan employs to deceive and destroy humans. But he uses them against believers and unbelievers alike. And his goal for these strategies is to keep unbelievers from coming to Christ for salvation and to keep believers to living the fullness of what Jesus has for them. But I mean, keep in mind, for Satan to, to have a win in our lives, he doesn't need us to necessarily go into a lifestyle of sin. If I live under the weight of condemnation, and I feel that I'm worthless because of my past, and I don't actively serve the Lord, and I expect nothing from Him, He's still winning in my life. Right? I don't have to live that lifestyle of sin. I can be a moral person that comes up with reasons why I don't have to go to church. And I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm not embezzling at the office. I'm not doing drugs. I'm not sexually immoral. But I'm still not living the life Jesus intends for me to live. And that's a win in Satan's mind. So that's all that he seeks to do. The word for devices... It could also be translated or referred to a, a strategy of the mind. Right? So, 
it not only refers to the way Satan thinks to plot against us, but also what one guy called the mind games that he plays with us. And what this teaches in part is the, pretty much the, the, the main battlefield that we fight. It's in our mind. It's going to be in how we think because how we think is going to determine how we act. So what Satan is going to attack first primarily is our, our thought life, our belief system. Because we eventually live out what we believe. He uses his wiles and his strategies to convince us to choose something other than God's way as our way. But any time we believe something contrary to what God has said, we are falling for the wiles and the devices of the devil. Any time we, we do something other than what God has said, we are falling for the wiles and the devices of the devil. Now what makes this hard is most of the time we want to do the things the devil is deceiving us about anyway. But most of the time we want to do contrary to what God has said. At least in some ways. Right, look at this. I love this verse. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Now, the idea of putting on Jesus is that of surrendering control of our lives to Him. It is it's not making Jesus Lord. Jesus is Lord. It is submitting to the Lordship of Christ in our lives. And I like that He says to, to put on. Right? It's a picture of really changing clothes. And the, por the importance of that is that it meant, it's meant to see that it's, it's deliberate. It's conscious. That we are making a, a willful and intentional decision to surrender our lives to the Lordship of Christ. Right? It's not an accident. We are choosing to say, I'm putting off this and I'm putting on this. So what is it that we're putting off? Well, we're putting off the, the lusts of the flesh. Right? And when we put that off and we surrender our lives to the Lordship of Christ... What happens is we don't make provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Right? In a lot of ways, Paul makes this an either or. Either we surrender to the Lordship of Christ or we will make provision for the flesh and we will do the things that our sinful nature wants to do. When we do not surrender every area of our lives to the Lordship of Christ, we will make provision for the flesh in one way or another. Always. We just will. Any area of our life that is not surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, that is an area that at some point we will make provision for the lust to fulfill its desires to do what it wants to do. Now, surrender to the Lordship of Christ, it means that we, we do what He wants us to do. Right? In all things. And as with Satan, doing Satan's will by living a life of sin, don't merely think about this in terms of big, sexual, or carnal type sins. Certainly, certainly, that would be included in what it means to make provision for the flesh. But it is not limited to that. If Scripture has spoken about any area of our life, then that is God's will. 
and doing what Scripture says is what it means to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And so not doing what Scripture says in that area is making provision for the flesh to eventually do what deep down we kind of want to do. So let me give you some examples in this. Do all things without complaining and disputing. I mean, that's a hard passage, right? At least it is for me. Maybe you're not a naturally a griper, but I kind of am. It's my natural go-to mindset at times. But it's pretty clear. How many things we do without complaining and arguing? All things. Like the Greek word means all. So there's no, there's no relief. It's not do all the things you like. All the things that are fun. All the things that don't make you angry. All things. So what does surrendering to the Lordship of Christ look like regarding this verse? It means doing all things without complaining and without arguing. See, here's the question. Is that what we do? And if not, why not? It's because we want to complain and argue, don't we? And what's happening in that moment is our flesh is pushing back against the Lordship of Christ. And in that moment, we have a decision to make. Will we surrender to the Lordship of Christ and do all things without complaining and arguing? Or or will we make provision of the flesh and begin to argue and complain? Every time we make provision of the flesh, we open up an avenue for Satan to snare us. We don't have time. Read that passage and read the verse after it. Because the verse after it says when you do all things like complaining and and arguing, that you stand out in the world as a light among a dark world. Think about the world you live in. Wouldn't someone that did all things without griping and complaining, wouldn't they stand out? The point that Paul's making is you'll stand out as a light and people will say, why aren't you griping? Why aren't you arguing? Why aren't you complaining? You could say because of Jesus. We are making provision for the flesh and we're setting ourselves up to be snared by the devil. But look in in 2 Timothy here. Look at verse 23. And the first of 24. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Now we'll talk more about this next week. But notice what he's saying. Avoid foolish disputes that generate strife and don't quarrel. But that's, that's what it looks like to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. See the foolish and ignorant argument and avoid it and then to not quarrel. But, but do we? I mean, do we avoid taking part in foolish disputes and getting involved in quarrels? And if not, why not? Isn't it because our our flesh likes to quarrel? Our flesh likes the disputes. We like to put people down, to put them in their place, to show them how they're wrong. So in those moments where we feel the desire to quarrel, That is our flesh pushing back against the Lordship of Christ. 
And in that moment we have a decision to make. We can surrender to the Lordship of Christ and not get involved in the discussion and not quarrel. Or we can make provision for the flesh. And again, every time we make provision for the flesh, we open up an avenue for Satan to snare us. How about this in Philippians? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So don't do things out of selfish motives. Don't just care about what's going on in your life, but also care about what's going on in the lives of others. Now, others here, it wouldn't just be your spouse and your kids and your family. right? Paul was writing to the church. So at a minimum, what Paul intended was for them to, to care also about their church family and what was going on in their lives. But beyond that, I think it would be safe to say, really just it would refer to people in your life in general. Probably not just, maybe not just random strangers we meet on the street, but people we regularly interact with. We're to care about what's going on in their lives and not try to put ourselves above them. So what does it look like to surrender the Lordship of Christ based on these? Well, it means not to be selfish in any of our actions or decision making. It means to actively put others ahead of ourselves. Do we do we do this? And if not, why not? Isn't it because we want to be selfish? We feel we deserve it. We don't want to put others ahead of ourselves. And in that moment, our flesh, it's pushing back against the Lordship of Christ in our lives. And in that moment, we have a decision to make. We can either surrender to the Lordship of Christ, deny our selfish ambition and our selfish desires and put others ahead of ourselves, or we can make provision for the flesh. And every time we make provision for the flesh, we open up an avenue for Satan to snare us. Scripture speaks to virtually every area of life. Scripture gives us guidance on our values, on our priorities, on our attitudes, on our actions, on our reactions, on our speech, on our thoughts, on our stewardship of our time, on our stewardship of our finances, on our stewardship of our spiritual gifts, on how to raise our children, on how to love our spouses, on how to treat people. There is no area of life that Scripture does not speak on. And all of those are God's will. And we surrender to the Lordship of Christ by doing what Scripture says in those verses in the moments that we need to. And when we don't want to, that is our flesh rebelling against the Lordship of Christ. And we have a choice to make. We can surrender to the Lordship of Christ and do what He would have us to do. Or we can make provision for the flesh. Every time we do that, we open ourselves up to be snared by the devil. Now next week we'll go more in detail about how to escape the snare of the devil. 
if we've been taken captive and how to help others who have been taken captive. But I do want to give three quick ways that we can respond if we see see ways that we're tempted, see ways that we're making provision for our flesh that could lead to our being ensnared. That first is just realize the reality of the devil's snare. That our enlightened age tends to minimize anything that has to do with the supernatural, particularly as it relates to Satan and demons. And this is even within the church, right? So we're not just talking the unbelieving world does that. But even within the church, the idea at times that we can be snared by the devil to do his will is mocked, minimized, and belittled. If we're going to be free of Satan's snare, we can't do that. If we're going to be a people of the book who believe the Bible and live the Bible, we can't do that. We must realize the reality of Satan's snare and the reality that anyone in the right set of circumstances can fall into it. So realize the reality of the devil's snare. Secondly, Surrender every area of life to the Lordship of Christ. Let me make a bold statement to you that I I know I can back up with Scripture. No one surrendered to the Lordship of Christ is ever snared by the devil. No one is ever snared by the devil in an area where they are surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. We are always and only Snared by the devil in areas that are not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's like Paul talked about in Galatians about walking the Spirit that you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. No one following the Spirit ever fulfills the lust of the flesh. No one fulfilling the lust of the flesh ever walks in the Spirit. So surrender every area of our life to the Lordship of Christ. But be Be intentional about it. And and I know, again, this is one of those things that's not really popular to to go through and say, well, I surrender my mind to the Lordship of Christ, my thoughts, my finances, my time, my day, my will. People would say, well, that's not necessary. Well, I'm going to tell you, I think it is. And here's why. It's easy to say, well, I submit my life to the Lordship of Christ. Okay, well, what about... What about your money? Oh, well, that's different. Well, actually say the words. I submit my money to the Lordship of Christ. I mean, that's a that can be a difficult statement to get out if that's an area that's not submitted. I submit. I submit my my gifts to the Lordship of Christ to serve Him however He wants. Well, that can be a difficult thing to say if that's an area that's not submitted. That's why I think we should be specific about it. Because in the specifics... We begin to see areas that make us uncomfortable to say, I'm submitted to the Lordship of Christ here. And the areas that are uncomfortable to say it are the areas we need to say it and believe it and live it the most. Because those are the areas we are most prone to make provision for the flesh. And then repent where you've made provision for the flesh. If you've there's an area of your life you have made provision of the flesh and you have given in to its lusts, repent. Specifically, repent of it. Confess it to the Lord as sin. And even go so far as to renounce it in Jesus' name. Right now, repentance, as you see, 
in verse 25. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so they may know the truth and escape. Repentance is essential to escaping the snare of the devil. But it's what's necessary. So we must repent where we've given in. Confess it. Forsake it. And repent of it in our lives. Let's take time tonight. We'll take prayer requests before we dismiss.